Uh, good morning, church. I would like to begin with a prayer adapted from a modern hymn. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are filled with thankfulness to you who reign above. Your wisdom is our perfect peace. Your every thought is love. And every day we have on earth is given by Jesus our King. So help us give our lives our all to love and follow Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I am thankful to be with you today. And I do not say this as a mere formality, but with deep gratefulness to God for what He has done for me to speak to you today. You see, every step of the way here, from being um, a school teacher to being a seminary student to being a pastoral intern, each step was a precious gift of God. For example, a few years back when my father passed away, many of you came to comfort me during the funeral. And even though I had just joined the church then, you still came to see me. And you showed me the love of Jesus Christ in action. And I don't know whether you know this, but it was at that point of time that I started thinking about serving people with the gospel by going to seminary. And when I did go into seminary, I started serving more actively in church. And that is when I also started making foolish mistakes and saying callous words. But you still showed me the gospel of Jesus Christ in action when you forgave me and when you loved me nonetheless. You showed me that ministry was gospel first and us second. And I certainly couldn't be standing here if it were not for your prayers. I know many of you have been praying for me. Let me thank you. And even praying for this very sermon today. You know, I treasure the words of a brother who once told me, Wenpin, I pray for you every day. And those words reminded me that my God walks with me every step of the way. So in a thousand different ways, through seen and unseen, God has made it possible for me to speak to you today. And so I feel that every sermon I write should be a song of thanksgiving to God. And that's why when I was preparing this sermon, I could not help but think about the topic of thankfulness. You see, thankfulness is interwoven into the very fabric of Christian living. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is a sure mark of the Christian disciple. In fact, the Puritan preacher Thomas Goodwin went so far as to even say that the most thankful person is the most fully human. But the truth is, we are not very thankful people, are we? How many of us have sincerely and proactively been giving thanks to God just this week or even today? Thankfulness is something that is often very unnatural to us. So how can we learn to be thankful disciples? How can we learn not just to be sometimes thanksgiving, but always and consistently thanks living? Well, thanks be to God that our passage today, Psalm 136, will teach us the answers to that question. Psalm 136 was written late in Israel's history towards the exile. And as you know, as we read from Lamentations just now, the nation of, exile was cast, uh, the nation of Israel was cast into exile because of their own sins. They were scattered throughout the land. 
And this was, of course, a traumatic national calamity. But even during this time, the Israelites knew how to give praise and thanks. And that is when they wrote Psalm 136. In fact, the Jews called the psalm the great praise. So what better place to learn for us how to give thanks than from these Jews who themselves had to learn to give praise and thanks in the most broken and sad of circumstances. And as we will see, Psalm 136 will teach us three lessons about how we can be thankful disciples. Three lessons about how to live in thanks. So let us begin our reading, our study of Psalm 136 by reading from the psalm. Uh, however, I'd like to do this little, a little bit differently. Uh, as you may know, the psalm, each verse of the psalm ends with the same line. And if you use the NIV, that line is, His love endures forever. And the, this constant repetition tells us that this psalm was most likely sung responsively. In other words, if you look at the screen now, the singers in the temple would have sung the first half of the word, uh, verse, and then the congregation, in other words, you, would say the second half of the verse. Okay? So if you look at verse 1, the singers or the speaker like myself would say, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And then you would say, well done. And, and, and this responsive reading is meant to give the congregation an opportunity to participate in thanksgiving to God for every single little act of grace that God has given. So I would like to do this with you to respect the, uh, the style of God's word. So let's read first from the first four verses. I'll read the first half and you read the second half. It's always the same, so I'm sure it's not going to be challenging. Let's start doing that now. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him alone does great wonders. Well done, thank you. It's marvellous to be able to thank God so early in the morning, isn't it? As I mentioned, uh, Psalm 136 will teach us three lessons. And these first four verses teach us the very first lesson. And that is, we must thank God for His great and enduring love for us. We must keep on thanking God because He keeps on loving us. The psalm begins with the wonderful verse. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. And verse 1 immediately tells us about the most distinctive characteristic of God. Simply, God is good. He is good. And that goodness comprises a love that endures, a love that perseveres, a love that persists. And you know what? The Jews certainly understood this. Because in my quiet time as I was reading through the Old Testament, it's very surprising how often verse 1 appears in many, many different contexts. It appears across the Old Testament. So for example, uh, when David first defeated uh, Saul and uh, managed to win over Jerusalem, David gave thanks to God by using the words of verse 1. After that, when David manages to set up the altar in Jerusalem to God, he commands verse 1 to be sung on a daily basis before the altar. And then when David steps down and Solomon steps up and Solomon builds up the, the temple of God, Solomon commands for verse 1 to be sung during the dedication. And many generations on, their descendant, King Jehoshaphat, 
when the nation of Israel was under threat by the surrounding nations, it is with the words of verse 1 that the king calls out to God for help with. And as you know from the reading just now from Lamentations, the nation finally falls because of its own sin. But even then, God promises the Israelites through Jeremiah that one day he will restore them if they humble themselves. And when they do that, they will be able to sing the words of verse 1 on their lips again. And we know that God fulfills this promise. Why? Because when the Israelites finally do manage to come back to the land, and when they do start building the foundation for the second temple, the words that they sing is the words of verse 1. And finally, when the temple, the second temple is completed, the psalms are sung again in the temple. And again and again and again, verse 1 is sung in all these different psalms in the Psalter. So you see, the words of verse 1, His love endures forever. They have followed the Israelites through their entire history because God's love has followed them throughout their entire history. And the truth is, God's love has also followed us throughout our, our entire history. God has walked with me every step of the way onto this pulpit. And in the same way, God walks with you from the moment you are born to this very moment and into the future. That enduring, that gracious, that persistent love is what you declare when you say those four words, is love and yours forever. You know, you may have heard it said that a God who is loving but weak is impotent. But a God who is strong but unloving is a tyrant. So I'm very thankful that verse 1 is then complemented by verses 2, 3, and 4 to show us that God is not only loving, but He is also almighty. So if you look at verses 2 to 3, you'll see that the psalmist calls God the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And this is just a Jewish way of saying most or greatest. In other words, God is the greatest God and God is the greatest Lord. He is the most divine and He is the most kingly. He is at the very top of the power pyramid. And this is reiterated for us in verse 4 when the psalmist says, to Him who alone, alone, does great wonders. Because it is God alone who operates at His level of power and majesty, but it is also God alone who persists and endures in loving us. And so the first four verses show us that God's love is both great and enduring. And that is why we must give praise. We persist in praise because God persists in loving us. Well, um, I've been speaking uh, about God's love in fairly abstract terms, and that is because the psalmist himself has been speaking about it in abstract terms. But the psalmist is a master teacher. So after this, in verses 5 to 26, he starts to begin to talk about God's love in a very concrete fashion by talking about key events in Israelite history to show them concrete examples of God's love for them. And this brings me to the second lesson about thanksgiving to God. In order to motivate our hearts, our mouths, and our minds to give thanks to God, we must learn to see God's love clearly. We must learn to see God's love clearly in every facet of our life. 
So let us now read the remaining verses, verses 5 to 26, in the same responsive manner, so that we can give thanks to God. Let's read from the screen. Who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Um, could the slide slow down a little bit? You're one slide ahead. Thanks. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And all king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. You see, in these verses, we see that the psalmist lists the events that show God's enduring love in the entire sweep of Israelite history. And in this retelling of Israel's epic story, we can learn three more concrete ways to see God's love clearly. Three more concrete ways to see God's love clearly. Could I go to the next slide, please? And now the next slide. The first way to see God's love is to recognize His day-to-day provision for us. Next slide, please. Like children who often take their parents' daily love for granted. My friends, Christians, we also often take God's daily love for granted. And that is why we need to deliberately learn to recognize God's love in our day-to-day situation. But you may be asking, how do verses 5 to 9, you can see them on the screen right now, How does God's description of the creation of the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon and the stars, how do these things show us God's daily provision? And in order to understand the psalm, we must come to this from the Israelites' perspective. We need to put on our Jewish glasses, so to speak. And we remember that for the Israelites, daily living would consist of two very important things. First of all, food, right? They are are a farming nation, food. The second thing would be security. They are surrounded by enemies. These two things are very important for their daily living, both food and security. So first of all, food. If you look at verses 5 to 6, we need to remember that um, the promised land was very dependent on rainfall. Unlike a country like Egypt, which had a river that flooded periodically to water the crops, the Israelites did not have that. 
And so they had to rely on regular rainfall to provide them rain for their crops. And so they are very thankful when they look at verse 5, and they see that the heaven, the heavens were created in understanding. It is God who created them in order so that regular rainfall comes down. And when regular rainfall comes down and waters the earth, the crops then grow and then they obtain food from the earth. So you see, the heavens and the earth are not merely scientific or material things like we normally look at them as, but they are also to the Israelites, God-given sources for food. And that's why they're very thankful that God created them. Uh, Secondly, security for verses 7 to 9. Remember that the promised land was surrounded by pagan nations that wanted to destroy them. And let me ask you a question. Who did these pagan uh, nations worship? What did they worship? They worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, Moses says to the Israelites, and when you look up to the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the forces of heaven don't be seduced into worshipping them. God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. So when the Israelites hear the words of verses 7 to 9 in Psalm 136, they would recognize that God was in control of the sun and the moon and the stars. In other words, God was in control of their enemies' gods. In other words, God was in control of their enemies. They would recognize that their loving God kept them safe and secure every day. And so in summary of verses 5 to 9, we see that the Israelites will learn to recognize in creation that God kept for them every day through food and security. But the question is, how about us? How about us? We do not now live in a promised land. We are looking forward to our promised land. But yet we can still train ourselves to give thanks to God by learning to see His grace in a day-to-day basis. For example, we could set aside a specific time at the end of the day, maybe 5 to 10 minutes, to go to the Lord in prayer in reflection and in meditation, to think through the day, to identify very specific and special moments of grace that God has given us that very day. We don't want to forget these things. If not, we won't give praise for them. We can also thank God for all the things that we usually take for granted. Things like our health, our family, our job security, our church, our leaders. God gives us all these good things. And we can even do it in our care groups as well. You know, one of the challenges of Singaporean life is that sometimes you become so stressed that it's so difficult to see God working in your own life. And that's why it's really helpful to join a small group, whether it's a care group, a men's group, or a women's group, so that you can share honestly and openly about your life, so that you can let others point out God's working in your own life as an encouragement and as a way to give thanks to God. So whether you do it individually or with a group, I encourage you to recognize God's love for you on a day-to-day basis. The second way to see God's love clearly is to remember the gospel. To remember the gospel. The greatest display of God's love for us is in how He saves us. Verses 10 to 12 They call the Israelites to remember how God rescued them from Egypt. 
the heart and the house of slavery with his might and his strength. Verses 13 to 15 then further remind the Israelites of about how God made a way for them through the sea and then how God used the same sea to bring judgment upon their pursuers. And you know, as the Israelites hear the words of verses uh, um, <clears throat> 10 to 15, they will see that God's claim to be God above all gods and Lord above all lords to be true. Because it's only the God above all gods that can rescue his people out from the religious center of Egypt. And it's only the king above all kings that can defeat Pharaoh. As you may know, Pharaoh is the king of the superpower of that era. Give me a minute just to drink a bit of water. And you know the Israelites are expected to remember what God has done for, the, for them even many generations on during the exile. Even during the exile, when they were scattered, they were expected to remember, and that's what the psalm is about. And God's rescue mission for the Israelites only foreshadows a much greater and bigger rescue mission for all of us. Because through our Lord Christ Jesus, we have been rescued from the slavery to sin and death. So how about us? How about us? Do we spend time remembering to give thanks for the gospel? Do we remember to give thanks on a regular basis for Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection? You know, for the last two weeks, uh, Elder Jonathan and Pastor Arnold have been speaking about discipleship. So let me add a little comment about discipleship. I believe at the very heart of discipleship is thankfulness for the gospel. Thankfulness for the gospel. Why? Because if we fail to give thanks for the gospel, we lose a key motivator for us to want to follow Jesus. Thankfulness for the gospel is what fuels our desire to want to follow Jesus. Because it is only because we are thankful to Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross that we are willing to sacrifice our time, our money, our resources, our energy, and even our lives for him. It is because we are thankful to Jesus for his precious gift of the gospel that we cannot help but want to share it with others through evangelism or missions. And it is only because we are thankful to Jesus for how he saves us even while we were still his enemies that we are able to look our brothers and sisters in, in, in their eyes, those who have sinned and wronged against us, and forgive them, just as Jesus did. You see, thanksgiving in your heart translates to thanksgiving in your lives. But if you do not give thanks, you may be tempted to say, you know, Jesus, I'm thankful to you for you know, saving me, but why do I need to obey you or follow you? My, my friends, if you are ever tempted to do so, to speak these words, to think these words, to live these words, Please don't. Please don't be an ungrateful person who fails to give thanks to Jesus for what he did on the cross for you. Please don't be an ingrate who cares more for his own comfort, his own life, his own happiness than you care for Jesus' mission and the gospel. Instead, what we must do is to remember the gospel and give thanks 
and then live thanks. That is at the very heart of discipleship. Or the third way that we need to learn to see God's love is to reorientate our eyes towards our future hope. To reorientate our eyes towards our future hope. We must remember that the gospel is not just about how Jesus brings us out of the kingdom of darkness, but it is also about how King, uh, Jesus brings us into the kingdom of light. So in the same way, what the psalmist does in the psalm is to tell the Israelites not just about how he frees them from Egypt, but also how God fulfills his promise to bring them into the promised land. And so we see the fulfillment begin in verse 16, which reminds the Israelites that it is God and not their human leaders that leads them through the wilderness. And you know the wilderness is full of dangers, chief of which are other human kings who don't want the Israelites to pass through their land. But you see, God is still the Lord of Lords. He sweeps aside these great and mighty kings like Sihon and Og simply to fulfill his promise to bring his people through. And then in verses 21 to 22, they show us that God completed his promise to allow the Israelites to inherit the the promised land. Uh, Next slide, please. The word inheritance, as you will note, is repeated twice in verse 21, once in verse 21 and once in verse 22. And the point of repeating the word inheritance, and I'm sure you all know this meaning, is to remind the Israelites that you didn't win this. This is not your own effort. This was given to you by God who keeps his promises. And God keeps his promises so much that even when the Israelites continue to sin against him and are then kicked out of the nation, God still hears. God is still faithful. So he still keeps his promises, as we can see in verses 23 to 26, that when the Israelites humble themselves, God frees them for their enemies, he brings them back into the promised land, and he again begins to feed them. This is the kind of God we have. All this history demonstrates to us that our God is a trustworthy God. Our God is a trustworthy God. So even though we are unlike the Israelites, we can't look at the ground right now and say, thank you, God, for this promised land. We can still confidently look into the future and say, thank you, God, for that sure promise of eternal life in resurrection glory. So in application, let me make another comment about how this applies to discipleship. I think scripture teaches us that discipleship flows out of our hearts, particularly what convicts our hearts, what our hearts are passionate about. And how do you know what your hearts are passionate about? One of the best ways is to see what you give thanks for. Because we often give thanks for those things that we are most convicted about. So let me ask you, my brothers and sisters, what do you give thanks the most for? What do you give thanks the most for? For your own happiness? For your comfort? For your work or academic success? What do you think? Or do you give thanks the most for your future resurrection life. That gift that God is going to give you for eternity. That sure guarantee of being in God's presence and experiencing His glory face to face. 
For if our hearts are not always giving thanks for the future hope, if our hearts are not fully captured by the hope of glory in Christ Jesus, where will our hearts be? And I'm sure you know the answer. Our hearts will trust this lying world, this world with all its phony and false promises, things like status in society, material wealth, success in the workplace, power, control, the five C's. But instead, if your heart is always giving thanks to God for your future hope, you will then live the life of a disciple because your heart will be the heart of a disciple. Paul points this out in the life of the Colossians where he tells them in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4-5, to For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I love that statement because it succinctly summarizes discipleship. But the question is, what drives the Colossians to discipleship? And that is given in the next half. They wanted to pursue a life of discipleship because of their confident hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven. If we learn to give thanks for our future hope, we will also learn to become disciples. So in summary, we see that the second big lesson on thanksgiving is that we must learn to see God's love clearly in all the areas of our lives and let that drive us to thanksgiving. We must learn to recognize God's day-to-day love. We must learn to remember the gospel and we must reorientate our eyes towards our future hope. (laughs) Well, as I said, I think there are three lessons that this psalm can teach us. And I've covered two already. And you may be wondering, Wenpin, you have covered every single verse in the psalm. So where are you going to get your last lesson from? Well, you see, psalms are songs, right? And songs, they don't just teach us by what they say. They also teach us by how they say it. And the one big how of this psalm is the assumption that you, the congregation, will repeat the words, His love endures forever 26 times. Again and again and again. So let me ask you, how did you feel reading it just now? Were you joyful and grateful to thank God for every small thing? Because that's exactly what we are called to do. Or perhaps, perhaps you felt that thanking God for every little thing was tiresome, was wearisome. Perhaps you felt you were thinking in your head, Wenpin, why can't you just read this for us? Well, the psalmist chose the style of his song to teach us our third lesson. And that is we must persevere in thanksgiving. We must persevere in thanksgiving. Because just as how the psalm expects the congregation to keep on thanking God, we also are expected to keep on thanking God ceaselessly. And just as it is not easy, I understand, to read the same verse 26 times in thankfulness, neither should it be easy to live a life of thankfulness to God. You know, I'm sure the Israelites who wrote and sung the psalm, they didn't always feel like giving thanks when they sung it. But they recognized that thankfulness must be a daily, diligent, and deliberate feature of the life of the people of God. 
we need to be constantly thanksgiving and not just occasionally thanksgiving. We can't delegate thankfulness to others and certainly not to the preacher. And we can't stop thanksgiving even when we don't feel like it. As I said earlier, thanksgiving is not natural to us. And because it is not natural, it is doubly important for us to persevere because it's only when we persevere that we can develop a godly habit of thankfulness. And you can see this habit being lived out in the life of the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites lost their entire country. They lost their land, they lost their families, they lost everything. But still, they kept on giving thanks to God. So my friends, perhaps you are going through a difficult time. Perhaps you are like the Israelites. Perhaps you have lost a loved one. Perhaps you are sick for a long time. Perhaps you have lost your job. And believe me, I empathize. Because each of us, at some point of time, has to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even as we walk through that valley, don't stop giving thanks to God. Don't stop giving thanks to God for Jesus on the cross. For it is Jesus, it is the cross that testifies to us that neither death nor life, neither the future nor the present, neither angels nor demons can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or friends, perhaps you are disappointed in the church. Perhaps... You are disappointed by the sin you see in other Christians, by resistance to the gospel, by hearts uninterested in discipleship, by harsh words leveled at you. But again, don't despair. Don't despair because despair blinds you. It blinds you to all the great work that God is doing in this church right now. Instead, give thanks for the resurrected Jesus. Because it is the resurrected Jesus that can pour out life into the dead. Give thanks for the resurrected Jesus because He is the one that sends the spirit of life into this church. So my friends, persevere. Persevere in giving thanks. Persevere in saying those four precious words, His love endures forever. Let me bring this sermon to a close. Today we asked, how can we be thankful disciples? And we answered with three lessons. First of all, we, we saw that God loves us with a great and enduring love. And therefore, we must give thanks for it. Secondly, we learned that we must learn to see God's love clearly in order to drive our hearts to thank, thankfulness. And to see God's love clearly, we needed to recognize God's day-to-day -day provision for us. We needed to remember the gospel. And we then needed to reorientate our eyes towards our future hope. And then finally, we learned that we need to persevere and be diligent in thanksgiving, even when we don't feel like it. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful for you because you show me God's grace. So let me end by exhorting you to be thanks livers, to be thankful disciples who endure in thanksgiving because God has endured in loving you. We must endure in thanksgiving because God has endured in loving us. 
And that enduring love is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. As He endures every step, every nail, and every moment upon the cross for you. Endure in thanksgiving, for God endures in loving you. I'll now like to give you a moment to respond to God in prayer so that you can apply the things we have just learned. As you pray, let me encourage you to ask God to teach you and help us endure in thanksgiving. And when the time is up, I'll close this all in prayer. Let us go to the Lord in individual prayer first. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your great and enduring love. We thank you for showing us your love in our daily lives, in the way you redeem us through our Lord Jesus, in our certain future hope. Please send your Spirit to help us, to guide us, to persevere in thanksgiving. Oh Lord, help us love you and worship you in thanksgiving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.